Remember when we watched the entire first season in like two days? Yes. One of the only shows that like you actually sit down and watch. It is, honestly, I think one of, if not the best show that's like currently airing and doing its thing. You know, I can tell you why. Sandra O. Oh. Sandra O. Oh and Jodie Comer. Yeah, and together. And it just continues to blow my mind that Jodie Comer is two months older than me. And yet, that impressive as an actress. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. Um, I know. If y'all haven't guessed, we're talking about Killing Eve. Yes, season three is airing right now, and... Brittany, if you don't finish season two so you can start season three so we can talk about it, I'm going to scream. I honestly will and want to, but there's part of me that wants to make you wait and feel the pain I feel every time I watch something and you're like, I'm probably not going to watch it, but don't tell me any spoilers because I will be pissed. See, but the thing is, if you were like, oh, I'm probably not going to watch Killing Eve, that would be another thing. But that's not how it is. No. You enjoy it. I do. You want to watch it. So no, it's it's not the same. Look, I have to finish Vampire Diaries. Don't make fun of me. It's a thing. I love it. I've never finished season eight. I'm doing that right now. No. Re- no. Refuse. <laughs> you can put Vampire Diaries on hold. Killing Eve is eight episodes a season. Just let you me... Could f- you, let me... You could knock out the rest of season two in a night. <laughs> let me live... Let me live my youthful years of watching a, I think it was on CW show, and just let it happen, okay? (laughs) I have never seen Vampire Diaries, and I'm probably just going to keep it that way. Dude, Ian Somerhalder, though, is like perfection in the form of a man, and keeps me going back. I literally, I don't know who that is. Oh my god, the, the icy blue eyes. He's wonderful. But that's not I'm, what we're here to talk about. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for you and Ian. Hi, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And where are all my other Vampire Diaries fans at? They're not <laughs> anywhere because no one is a fan of Vampire Diaries. That is not true. That is not what's, true. What's the other vampire show? True Blood? Yeah. No one's a fan of that either. They were Vampires when it was are good. So 2012. You're not wrong there. You are not wrong. Um, but today we've got an episode that's not about vampires. That's I... true. Although God, that's a miss. We we could do uh, we could do an episode about real life vampires. We could because we've already covered a couple of cases that have to I do know. with like kind of vampires. Who gets dibs on that one like? english or european royalty woman who like bathed in virgin blood to stay young and was not young um me because i already have it on my list of cases to do boom okay well fine (laughs) i'll do i don't know i'll probably find a super fucked up case about someone who like i don't know drank children's blood and it's the most graphic horrifying thing you've ever heard and at the end of the case, you're going to be like, oh my fucking God, you did it again. Well, except that we've already done that, and it was Richard Chase, and he did drink people's blood. Remember when he was, like, drinking rabbit blood, and, like, he thought he had yeah, to do it, and he was the I vampire know. of Sacramento? Yeah, it was pretty I bad. I blocked him out of my mind. Yep, I wish I could, but I can't unsee the things I researched. That, God, that episode, because that was when I did Richard Ramirez. That was when we did the two Richards. I know. That was probably Uh, one of the most fucked up episodes ever. Yeah, I think I've blocked that whole episode out of my mind. 
<laughs> Except for like that uh the the night stalker meme <laughs> meme that you posted on Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is still I love it. so funny. Anyway, so let's get into this week's episode topic. So I lost last week again, but that also means that I still get to pick the topics, which, you know, honestly, I like doing because it's at this point like a, okay, how do we come up with something new and different? And honestly, it doesn't take that long to think about it, which is the scary part. That's so real. So this episode, we're going to be talking about traveling killers or like road trip murders. You know, this was an interesting episode. And to be totally honest, I kept thinking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre every like moment of my research. Oh, same. Well, it's the whole like, you know, they pick up the hitchhiker. He's like crazy. And then there's the house with all the skin everywhere. And, you know, it just a lot of shit happens in, in a car. And then they get to the farmhouse. And a lot of crazy shit happens. Did you know when they filmed that, they were actually using, like, real, like, dead animal carcasses? And so it smelled Uh, horrible. Ew, I did not know that. Personally, as far as movies go, horror movies are so far down on my list of, I'm not a big fan. Mm -hmm. But I would say, in the category of horror movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the old one, like, the one Yeah, the original one. Probably, I would say my favorite. I will never watch it again. It's just good. And the scares, I feel like, are real. Because I feel like a lot of horror movies today, the scares are cheap. Oh, yeah. It's like gore. And it's like, of course, gore is going to be scary. But to me, some of the things that make the older one so scary are the things you don't see. Like the dude getting placed on the meat hook. You see him getting picked up and, like, towards it, but you don't see it go into him. You just, like, hear it. You just know. Exactly, you know. And the shit your mind comes up with is a thousand times scarier. Because I think all, like, in the, I never saw the one that came out in, like, the 2000s, because I didn't care. But I know it, like, shows everything. It doesn't leave anything up to the imagination. It, like, leans into the gore. And I just, I don't, I don't care. It is better than jump scares, though. I hate jump scares. I think that's the laziest writing in the fucking world. <laughs> and it's always like someone walking around and then a person and they're like, ah, it's just me, Samantha, your friend. And then Samantha gets murdered. Or she is the murderer because you don't have friends in horror movies. But no, it's why the movies True. of the 70s and 80s, they're a lot scarier. It leaves more to the imagination. I definitely would not call Texas Chainsaw Massacre one of my favorites. I will call it one of the best. The reason I can't say favorite is because it creeps the shit out of me. I think I've seen it twice and I have no inclination to watch it again. Mm, see, that's I think that's what I mean by favorite. I don't think I have a favorite horror movie. Because I don't like horror movies. I don't want to sit there and be scared. Because to me, a horror movie, it's either scary or not good. (laughs) And I don't like either option. You know, honestly, I can pick one movie, two versions, like we were just talking about, that fall into both those categories. Pet Cemetery, The old one, really good. Yes, the movie's kind of cheesy, but it follows the book so well. New Pet Cemetery not good i didn't like it it was so lame and i was so disappointed but it chapter one and two so good but we've talked about that before 
We're not talking about Halloween murders or clown murders, which clown murders is also another potential topic we could do. We've done John Wayne Gacy. There are other clowns that murdered. I don't like that. I I mean, I'm not someone who is, like, scared of clowns per se. I'm scared of murderers. I would be scared of any, any like, dress-up costume murder. If there was, like, college mascot murderers. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> oh my god, that would be horrifying. Or, like, I don't know, pro-team murders. You know it would be someone dressed up as the fucking Philly fanatic. Obviously. Who else would you dress up as? I mean, true. The Philly fanatic is horrifying. Like, what is he? Did he not make the cut for Sesame Street, or what's going on here? He didn't make the cut for Sesame Street, and it's haunted him ever since. And that's why he becomes a murderer. <laughs> My god, I hate it. But you know what I love? Wine. Mmm, me too. What wine did you pick for this episode? So the wine I'm drinking today is the 2019 Seastone Sauvignon Blanc from Marlboro, New Zealand. Because I know you did one last episode, but it's been a hot minute since I've had the chance to drink my favorite wine. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to drink it today. I feel like I've done Sauvignon Blanc like four times since you have. It's just so good. We'll see how good it tastes because, y'all, full transparency... I had some amazing chicken for dinner with some tomb, which is a garlic sauce from the Levant region. It's essentially a shit ton of garlic and oil mixed together, but whipped. So it's picture like a like a garlic meringue, but it's the garlickiest thing in the world. And it's so good. And everything I ever have dreamed of is now tasting like garlic. So <laughs> I'm about to have garlic wine, I think. I think you're going to be tasting garlic for a couple days. You're going to start like smelling yeah. it when you sweat it out. Ew. <laughs> Ew. But um, so any of our LA listeners or anyone familiar with what Zanku chicken, basically that is what I had for dinner, essentially. I don't know what it is, but it sounds delicious. Okay, but my wine, not chicken. The winery, it gets its name Seastone because of the seashells and sea stones, which I don't know what the fuck a sea stone is. I'm assuming sand dollars. That's literally the only thing I can pick. Or a rock Maybe in coral. the ocean. Oh. <laughs> I don't... Okay. I mean, I could be wrong, but I just feel like that seems pretty straightforward. I mean, I would just call that a rock, though, or a stone. I wouldn't call it a sea stone, but okay, whatever. It gets its name because the soil it's grown in, the vineyards, are full of sea stones and it really helps add to the flavor i imagine it adds a lot of like calcium and stuff Mm -hmm. and we've tasted wine that's grown in very calcium rich alkaline soil when we went to whatever vineyard valley mills near waco yep yeah who knows if it'll taste like i don't know brie cheese i hope not but uh this wine in particular it's very crisp it has aromas of passion fruit grapefruit and honeydew melon And like all Sauvignon Blancs, it pairs really well with chopped salads, sautéed seafood, and it says assorted cheeses, which I'm like, yeah, anything pairs well with assorted cheeses. But I'm like, it pairs really well with craft singles. If it did, then it would be the perfect wine to have with your grilled cheese and tomato sauce. Can I tell you the secret to a perfect grilled cheese? Putting mayo on the bread? No, but that is worth trying. 
instead of butter, you do mayo. It's a chef trick. Okay. It makes the bread so much crispier. And if you're grossed out by mayo, it's literally eggs and oil, and mayo's delicious. Dip your fries in it. It's what I learned from the Europeans, and it's the best thing ever. I'm going to have to try that next time. What I was doing was just like butter, like butter, butter, not margarine, low temperature heat, and you cover it, put the lid on. Basically, like build the sandwich in the pan. Like I start on literally a cold pan, butter side down, put your cheese, put your cheese, other piece of bread, butter side up, put the lid on, low heat, flip it when it's nice and golden. So good, man. So crispy. That's the secret to good cooking in general is low heat. You're wondering why your cooking is not great. You're cooking it too high. Apparently, you should never use the high function on your stove. I don't get it. Unless you're like searing meat or some shit like that. But pretty much anything else, don't, don't cook it hot and fast. And those are cooking tips with Brittany and Tyler. With our new blood and wine cooking style cooking murders. Ooh. Ew. Chef murders could be... Oh, I was not thinking about, like, (laughs) cannibals. I was thinking, like, restaurant murders, which we've already done. Anywho, I'm gonna gonna crack open this wine. Also, it's a screw top. Also, it was, like, $6. I got it in total wine. Smells so good. And I really need to do my dishes, so the only... Wine glass I have right now that's not dirty is stemless, which I hate stemless for white wine because your hands heat the wine up. But, uh, you know, we're all struggling in different ways. And mine is not doing dishes. And I'm going to pretend like that's a new thing. (laughs) I know. Seriously. I'm like, that's all the time, though. So, okay. So you don't have to wait longer to try your favorite wine again. Can I tell you about my wine? I'll allow it. What if you're like, no, and you just drank your wine? I'd be like, okay. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> I picked the 2018 Azinde Piazzini Poggio San Pietro Toscana from Tuscany, Italy. So basically, I picked an Italian mouthful. <laughs> I have an ex-boyfriend like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you say something and you just have lots of regrets afterwards? <laughs> I don't know what that's like at all. Okay. Oh, God. Absolutely didn't mean it like that, but that happened. So this wine, it's going to be really good, actually, because it's from Tuscany. So moving on, it is Merlot and Sangiovese. And they are harvested from the vineyards of Poggio San Pietro. And it really creates this nice balance of cherry fruit with soft, medium-bodied tannins. This is a really, really good value at only $8 that really showcases that nice Tuscan flavor as opposed to like a really expensive Chianti. And it's really good with Asabuco or veal piccata. So basically, it's really good with Italian food. I wonder why. Anyway, so I'm going to get into this bottle. I'm going to sit here and just think about Italian food. Did you see that picture I sent the family of how I broke my foil? Oops. How I broke, I almost like cut my finger. How I broke my foil cutter and mama was like, I don't know what that is. And I was like, Tyler should. He started the break. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, you guys, uh, Tyler was playing with my foil cutter and he. Listen, I fiddle with shit when I'm like doing things. If you don't want something broken, don't let it near my hands while I'm, I don't know, talking on the phone. Or something. It's true, though, because you were just, like, playing with it, and then the next thing you knew, you hear, like, the crack of the plastic, and you were like, 
oh my god, and I just, like, look at you. Then I just put it down. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do this. But to be fair, that happened over a year ago, and it still worked fine. Yeah, so honestly, at that point, it would have broken this long anyway. But I... am struggling getting that open. It has one of those plastic corks in it, which is, for some reason, Uh... really stuck in there. Here we go. I was afraid I was going to make a mess. Oh, that smells really good. Definitely smells like cherry, as apparently every red red wine does to me now. I feel like I say that with all of them. Yeah, you say cherry and dark fruits, but I feel like that's what everyone says. This one smells like wine. No, it does smell like a nice medium bodied, not too full, really pretty like garnet color. My lamp is green, so it's not really showing me correct colors, but it's a nice, I would say it's a ruby slash a garnet kind of color. It's really pretty. Well, I say let's cheers because I want to drink my wine. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Does it taste like garlic? No, but it is probably the most different Marlboro's New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that I've had because usually ones I've had basically all taste the same like you can tell they're they are different bottles of wine but pretty much the same this one definitely starts with um stone fruit sea stone oh yeah those aren't the same thing no they're not the same thing no but this one starts with like less flavor like it doesn't really have much flavor once it hits your tongue and then kind of as it warms up in your mouth a little bit is when you start to get some of those more melony and citrusy flavors. It doesn't have a lot of the grassiness though. Oh really? I I feel like you always see it has some. Does it have the key um, lime? Like a little bit. Honestly more like lime lime. Oh, than so not key as sweet. Lime. Yeah. It's a good one, but I it is definitely a little different, and I bet that comes from the sea stones in the soil. Which, I mean, it said on it that was its main differentiator, so that's really cool to finally have a New Zealand wine that tastes a little bit different, has a different mm-hmm. character. And it's, it's good, definitely not my favorite. The things I like most in a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc are the key lime, the grassiness, and the lemongrass, but... It's still a really good wine. You really need to try the one I did last week. I think you would really like it. Well, this one is very much your classic wine from Tuscany. It is lighter, more of that medium body. It's not a super Tuscan by any means. It is very soft. Those soft, like pretty tannins that aren't really harsh. They don't like hurt. They don't hurt your heart. Soft and pretty. (laughs) They don't hurt your feelings and your heart. Definitely that cherry flavor that's coming forward. A little bit more berries, not super dark berries though they're lighter ones like cherries and not necessarily raspberries cranberries that's the other one i was thinking of where it's just like this lighter fruit flavor and it does have some hints of some earthiness that are on the back of your tongue like when you swallow the cherry is what's like tart and at the very beginning it's smooth and it finishes with this earthy subtle like it's really nice this is an easy wine to drink without having any food You know, two thoughts I just had. First, this is going to sound stupid, but I think you'll know what I mean. I think it's weird that one of the flavor profiles I don't think I've ever had from a wine is grape. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I've never had it, but like, "Mm, yeah, it has notes of grapes, even though it is. 
Well, it's also like, do you mean notes of like actual real grapes or do you mean notes of like grape flavored cough syrup? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I was, I was going along the line of like real fresh grapes. Not a flavor I have. But then also, how great is it that we get wine from grapes? And also how weird it is. Because as far as fruit goes, grapes suck. Uh-uh. No, don't say that. Grapes have always been one of my favorite fruits, even before they were wine. Okay, well, you are a different story. Grapes are definitely bottom third of fruit. Everyone agrees with that. <laughs> I don't um, think so. I don't think so. Listeners, please let us know your thoughts, because I strongly feel like it's the other direction. Listen, no one, it, we don't have, like, Greek emperors listening to us snacking on grapes while they listen to the podcast. Someone who is literally sitting there snacking on a grape right now is like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, I have grapes in my fridge at this very moment. They're wonderful, and I love them. I've literally never seen another person actually buy grapes before. Oh my god, what? You are you are doing something wrong. We need to end this conversation right now, because I'm getting heated. I'm just kidding. Whatever. But grapes like, suck. No. But have you ever had those ones just... that taste like cotton candy? They're weird, but cool. I yes, I've had one at like a farmer's market, I think. Did I steal a grape and eat? I might have just stolen a grape. Anyway, yes, and I was like, "Oh, that's fucking gross." I just think it's interesting that one of the best things ever, wine, comes from one of the lamest fruits ever, grapes, and it's not like coming from a good fruit like a strawberry or raspberries or things like that or pineapple i mean i, I guess that pineapple. that would just be tapache but is that pineapple alcohol it's a yeah a fermented pineapple drink why have i never heard of this i don't know i think it's mostly drink in mexico and central america but yeah i really want it you can make it at home anywho this is not <laughs> blood and tapache this is blood and wine <laughs> If it and, was Blood and Tapache, um, that'd be a very confusing podcast. It's like, just hey. very specific. <laughs> I know. Hey, we're having our pineapple alcohol again this week. This is Blood and Clamato. And... <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no. Blood and booze. It's Blood and Wine. But we have our wine. We have our topic. I, I'm, I'm just going to hop into my case. Go for if it. If you're ready. I'm ready. Tell me about your traveling murderer, road trip murderer, murderers on the go. There's caravan of murderers flooring it down the highway. It's a murder road trip. I, uh, I wonder who gets to pick the playlist for that. It's a perfect <laughs> I don't think that's what they would be listening to. But Are you picturing like a van with like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Richard Ramirez? They're like all traveling somewhere it's it's actually hell on wheels i am picturing them not in a van but in like a red convertible <laughs> rich ramirez like throws his hands up hair in the wind but they're murderers so we just want it's them to up. like drive off a cliff or something yeah i want them to thumb and louise themselves that's what they did, right? They drove into, like, the Grand Canyon? Yeah. Have we discussed this? How I didn't know Thelma and Louise was real or not? Yes. <laughs> okay. And I still stand by it. It's a wonderful movie if you want to see Brad Pitt early days. Oh, my God. Yes. Also, the movie's fantastic. That is, that's good to know. But you're never going to watch it. Nope. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Case time. So, 
The case I'm doing today is the case of the Lilliland family murders. The sources I used, the Wikipedia page for it, and then an article in Crime Traveler by Fiona Guy. Oh my god, Crime Traveler. Yeah, it was amazing. I'm betting that was a really good resource. (laughs) Yes, it's where I got most of my stuff from. So I'm going to start with just a little bit of background on the Lilliland family. Family. (laughs) I'm sorry, their last name's Norwegian, and I kind of fall into it, and then have to quickly pull myself out, so you're gonna hear the word family a lot. I can't help it. So, Dad, Vidar Lilliland, he grew up in Bergen, Norway, and in 1985, that was when he moved to the US, and just a few years after that, in 89, he married his wife, Delfina Zelea, and she was a first-generation Honduran-American from New York, and the two of them met because they were both members of the Jehovah's Witness Church, and that was kind of how they got connected and married, fell in love, did their thing. Mm-hmm. 1997, they had two kids, six-year-old Tabitha and their two-year-old son, Peter. Four of them, that's the family. Flash forward to April 7th of 1997. The family was driving back home. They'd attended a, like, religious convention in Johnson City, Tennessee. And they're headed home. And on the way back at about 7.20 p.m., they pull into a rest stop just off the interstate. That's about halfway between the convention and their home. And at this rest stop was kind of where their lives would collide. With this group of six young people. Oh, the serial killers in the van? Yes. But yes. <laughs> it's horrifying. And when I said April 7th earlier, I definitely meant April 6th because my eyes aren't working right now. But it was it was April 6th. You're time hopping in the past. I'm just, I'm a time traveler. Now I have the whale and Jenny's stuck in my head. Thank you. Uh, anywho. So April 6th. Let's look at the six young people. They're all aged between 14 and 20, so when I mean young people, I mean young people. Yes, you mean teenagers. Yeah, I call them teens a couple times, but since some of them are 20, I didn't, I don't know, I felt weird, but like, the teens, except for some of them. But yeah, it's a group of teenagers. They are from Pikeville, Kentucky, and they're Jason Bryant, Natasha Cornett, Dean Mullins, Joseph Reisner, Crystal Sturgill, and Karen Howell. Three girls, three guys, and they're on their way, they're traveling to New Orleans. But just a little bit after leaving Pikeville, they realized that the car they're in, they're traveling in Joseph Reisner's car, is not going to make it to New Orleans. Why did you decide to go? Yeah. If you can't even get there, don't try to go there. Yeah. And uh, so their obvious thought is, oh, his car won't make it to New Orleans. Well, let's steal a car from either a parking lot or a dealership, which is dumb. They're dumb. (laughs) That is dumb. And the group of them also has two guns amongst them. That's important to know, unfortunately. Well, you already said it's a van of serial killers, so I'm kind of understanding where this is going. Yeah, yeah, you're, yes. They're on their way to New Orleans in uh, Joseph's real shitty car, and they also pull over to a rest stop off the highway, same one that the Lilliland family is at, and that's, that's kind of, again, where the worlds collide. So... 
Vidar, he's carrying his son, Peter, the two-year-old, and, I don't know, going to the bathroom, whatever. It's one of those rest stops that is not like a visitor's center, one that's just like bathrooms and picnic tables. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not a main one, it's just one of the other ones along the highway. Yeah. Which, um, are rest stops an American thing? I I guess international listeners, let us know if... Do y'all have them? I feel like it's an American thing. We have to pee a lot because we get our extra, extra large Cokes. Well, and we also drive everywhere because we're like, oh, it's only a 12-hour drive. And everyone outside the States is like, what the actual fuck? That's stupid. No, a lot of that is the part of the country we're from because sometimes I tell people, oh, it's just like a quick three-hour drive. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's only three hours. What? And I'm like, it's basically I can go there and back in a day. That blows people's minds, by the way. When I would ever talk about, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see my mom for the weekend. It's like, mm, depending on traffic, seven, eight hour drive. So I'll leave Friday and come sun- come back Sunday. And they're like, why the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> because that I love my awful. mama, okay? Anyway, murders. Murder time. So Vidar, dad, is carrying Peter, the two-year-old. And he walks up to Cornet and Howl and to discuss their religious views. He's basically, he sees these like wayward youths and he's like, you know what? Opportunity. I'm going to convert him. <laughs> Which uh, was not a good idea. They're chit-chatting and Reisner and Bryant also walk up. And so it's just, everyone's everyone's having a, having a convo. But obviously conversation did not go great because Reisner pulls out a gun and he tells Vidar... I hate to do you this way, but we're going to have to take you with us for your van. Because remember, they're in a shitty car and they need a new one to get to New Orleans. Why? I don't fucking know. I was about to ask that. Do we even know why they're going to New Orleans? Take vacation. They really just want to get there, I guess. They're just really fucking determined to get to New Orleans. Which New Orleans is great and all, but... Don't steal vans over like, it. Yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Don't really think any city is worth, like, stealing vans to get to, but he directs the whole family to get into their van, and Vidar is, like, pleading with them. He's, like, offering his keys, his wallet. He's like, I I will give you the van, just let us stay at the rest stop, which I don't- I'm like, isn't that what you want? I know, why did they kidnap them? Y'all are just wanting- maybe because they saw their faces, maybe because they're literally a bunch of, like- four-year-olds i don't know Mm -hmm. but uh reisner refused so he makes vidar get into the driver's seat and drive the van while reisner's holding the gun on him and then basically everyone except mullins and sturgill are in the van so there's the whole family and then four of the people there's eight people in the van and then mullins and sturgill are just like following behind in the other car oh so it did Um, still run at this point it just they didn't know when it was going to give out. Basically. And at this time, Delphina, she's trying to calm her children down. So she starts like singing to them like it's going to be okay. And Bryant is like, lady, shut the fuck up. Makes her stop. So they get onto the interstate. They're driving a little bit and they exit and they're taken down a secluded road. A couple hours later, police received two 911 calls about at about 9 p.m. that evening and they were reports of gunshots that were heard kind of near the rest stop. 
When police arrived on the scene, when they arrived, they found the old shitty car that was there. So the Lily Lens van had been stolen. Mm-hmm. But the kids had made sure to remember to take the license plates off of their car, which I'm like, oh, a little more foresight than I thought a bunch of dumb five-year-olds would have, but <laughs> here we are. Me too. But when police get there, the, the car is not the horrifying thing they see. It's the bodies that are piled on top of each other. Vidar and Delfina, they were already dead, but their two kids were barely alive and just like laying on top of them oh no oh my god the medical evidence suggested that the teens had like lined the family up by the ditch and then just one by one shot them both parents had actually been shot and run over by one of the vehicles vidar was shot at least four times one of them was in his right eye and then three times in the chest and delfina was shot in the arm and her leg Both of those she would have survived, but they then shot her six more times. What is with the excess shooting? Well, after shooting them the first couple times, Bryant, like, checked and was like, Ah, shit, they're still fucking alive. And so they shot them all again. Tabitha, their six-year-old, she'd been shot once in the head. And then Peter, who's, again, just a baby he'd been shot twice one was in the back of his head and one was in his back and remember the two kids are still somehow alive at this point this is a horror scene that they showed up to yeah tabitha was taken to the university of tennessee medical center in knoxville nearby but she the next day did die of her injuries peter though did survive the attack he had horrible injuries to his head, his right eye, um, his spine. He wound up actually losing his eye, but he survived. That is amazing. It's one of those miracles of life being still in development. He could bounce back as yeah. much honestly, as he could from this horrific attack. Yeah, but honestly, as far as like where they were shot, I mean, just looking at it, it sounds like he was shot the worst. I mean, back of the head and in his back and his spine. Yeah. And yet he was the one who survived. But uh, he was the only one who survived the attack. So who the hell are these teens? I'm wondering where they came from and why they were going on this road trip to New Orleans. Well, I'm going to give a little, little bit of background on who they are. So the kids who did this, and I'm, I'm calling them kids. Yeah, I know it's ages 14 to 20. That's, that's kids. They're kids. They're kids. They're the type of kids that you would assume would do something like this i hate that oh i hate that you said that because that yeah it does suck i mean uh, most of them had prior criminal records of like stealing shit shoplifting i mean i okay i say that it's the type of kids you would assume would do something like this what i mean by that is it's the type of kids that are the quote-unquote like bad kids or misfits in high school The ones that, you know, do more of the shoplifting and are, like, using drugs and things like that. For the most part, most of them are like that. There's also a couple of them that are, like, into the occult. Uh, Natasha Cornette, for example, her thing is she's like, oh, yeah, I'm Satan's my father. And then Karen Howell is, like, into the occult, like, Ouija boards, and she thinks she's a witch, and she casts love spells, and shit that is very high school. But uh, I will say the two older 
ones. Uh, Edward Dean, who's 19, and Joe Reisner, who's 20, are um, Natasha and Karen's boyfriends, respectively. So... For the most part, the group is like high school kids, but they were shitty asshole kids. They would like steal from their parents and then do drugs and stuff and literally just decided to go on a road trip to New Orleans together. That's how this came about. There was no reason. And they were going to do whatever it took to get to New Orleans. Yeah. Before they left uh, Kentucky, they stole a couple guns. They stole some handfuls of cash. But there wasn't any reason they weren't meeting anyone or doing anything. They were just road trip. So after shooting the family, the group just left them for dead and continued on their trip to New Orleans. They stole the van. They were driving along. They stopped at a Waffle House while they were going through Georgia because of fucking course they did. Also, how you get... From Kentucky to New Orleans by way of Georgia, I don't know. Yeah, that's not making sense to me either. I'm looking. I'm I mean, looking at the map how, in my head, and I'm like, that's not right. That's not how I would drive. But uh, I mean, they also are dumb. So maybe they're like uh, the easiest way is to go straight down to Florida and then across, or maybe that is the fastest way. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it, <laughs> but whatever. They're at a Waffle House in Georgia. Which we've all we've all been there, whether you've been there physically or just emotionally. We've all we all have all been to a Waffle House in Georgia in our minds. I mean, we've all been to at least a Waffle House. No, apparently not. It's just a South thing. Oh, but there are definitely places that you would equate to Waffle House and other places. I get what you're saying. Like we've all been mm-hmm. there. You may not know you've been there, but like you've been there. You, you've you've been there. <laughs> so they're at the Waffle House having I don't know the All Star Scrambler. Having their hash browns smothered, covered, and chunked. Pull- it, it's a thing. It sounded real <laughs> gross. I had forgotten. It it's does. been a hot minute since I've been to a Waffle House. Uh, anyways, they're there, but a group of police officers arrive, and they're like, oh shit, we gotta bounce. I don't know if the police officers were there for them. I don't think so. I think it was just a group of cops being like, oh my god, let's get some food. Probably. But this group of children is like, ah! And ran away. It's the police! Basically. And with that, they were like, nah, it's too risky. We saw a police officer. We can't go to New Orleans anymore. Instead, we have to drive to Mexico. So it's not like New Orleans was that important in their minds. It was like their end goal changed on the flip of a dime. Yeah. So when they get to the border, obviously, they were not planning on leaving the country. A slash, I don't think any of them were the types of kids who had passports in general. Yeah. So they didn't have the proper IDs to get into the country, but uh, somehow they were able to sneak into Mexico anyway. While they're in Mexico, though, Bryant was somehow shot in the hand and the leg, and I don't know if it was by um, one of his friends. Yeah, I, I think it was, but I, I don't, I don't know. But either way, the Mexican police were like called and found them and were like what the fuck are you the group of children doing here so the police they do a search they find a knife as well as like a photo album that belonged to the lilleland family oh my god it's their van yeah so they're like "Mm, this isn't who the fuck's van is this yeah this isn't y'all this is like very norwegian honduran blended family you're all a bunch of fuck up kids more so, like, you're not in any of these photos. Who's this? Who are these people? Well, I, I mean, yes. 
So Mexican police order them to re-enter the U.S. And at the border, the American Border Patrol officers like search them and then take them to jail in Arizona. And at the time of their arrest, it's only been two days since the murders. Oh, and happened a lot faster in reality than in my head. Yeah, they drove fast. But one of the things that sticks out to me the most as so fucked up is most of them had personal items that belonged to the Lilylands on them. Like they were like, ooh, I like her watch. Mine now. Shit like that. They really are dumb. They're awful. You could have saved this for our stupid killers episode. I really could have. They're arrested. They're obviously connected to the murder very quickly. And Karen Howell and Jason Bryant, both of them are under 18. So they're juveniles and they're facing life sentences without possibility of parole if they're convicted. The other four who are all over 18, they're being charged as adults and the district attorney was seeking the death penalty against all of them. That seems really aggressive and unnecessary. Yes, what they did is absolutely horrible, but they are kids. And they are stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, the these four are 18, 19, and 20. No, I know, but I'm just saying, with our definition of children are basically... You're oh, 20, yeah. you're basically 18. Like, in the eyes of the law, you are an adult, but your mind... What is it, like 21 or 22? When does your brain stop developing? I I think mid-20s, like 25 or something. Yeah, so you're literally still becoming who you are. Although, let's be honest, we are all still becoming who we are every damn day. Uh, Yeah, but in this case, one of the really important things you can't forget is just the public disgust and outrage. I mean, the Lilliland family was this just wonderful all-American religious family that was coming from a religious conference. They're living in the South. They're, you know, picturesque. Right. And they're just straight up murdered so that the public opinion is so against these kids i totally get that that doesn't mean i think they should get the death penalty oh i 100 percent agree with you i know they're monsters but i don't think that means they should be killed too no i absolutely agree the kids requested separate trials but that was denied and so they were all gonna be tried together in one trial oh yeah. my god the trial date was set for March of 1998, um, and that it was delayed to then so that they could find as impartial of a jury as possible from a different county. Which that's hard because this is already traveling. Is the trial happening there in Arizona? Uh, I think the trial is happening back in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that was one of my questions for you because they did like bounce around so much. Mm-hmm. It would definitely take place in Kentucky. That makes sense. Yeah. The reason I asked, remember in the last episode when I did Heather Rich and the family Mm -hmm. was from Oklahoma and she was killed literally pretty much on the border, but their trials took place in Texas and they're being held in Texas. So it's, that's why I ask, because it's this weird, when you cross state lines, you're at the mercy of multiple states and their jurisdictions and laws and sentencing. Well, I think in your case, I mean, yours became a federal crime because they took her across state lines. lines. True. I don't think, uh, and I could be wrong, but I don't think murdering someone doing a crime in one state and then you yourself leaving across state lines 
is a federal crime in the same way. No, no, it's definitely not. And you are more so arrested somewhere and then you are taken back to wherever you need to go to be sentenced and judged. Yeah. So on February 20th of 98, just the you know month before the trial, and pretty much one year after the murders, all six of them pleaded guilty to charges of murder and attempted murder, and they all waived their right for a trial by jury. In exchange for their guilty plea, the death penalty was removed, so all of them accepted life in prison without possibility of parole. Wow, that's an, that is an intense sentence for a group of, of people under 20. Yeah. I mean, the without the possibility of parole. And it's hard because they shared the same trial... I guess they could still have different sentencing, but the ones who were 20 are a little bit more aware of their situation. But didn't you say one of them was 14? Yeah, Jason Bryant. That's a lot. He is more so unaware of the impact of the things he's doing, I would think, as a 14-year-old. Yeah, I am surprised. I didn't think that juveniles could get sentences of life without parole. And they weren't all I- tried as adults because they pled guilty together? They pleaded guilty together? No, two of them were tried oh. as um, juveniles. I didn't realize and that either. And were originally, yeah, the the two juveniles were originally just facing life in prison without parole, and the the four adults were facing death penalty. So yeah, I I didn't know you could do that without parole for a fourteen year old. Either. But yeah, they all pleaded guilty and accepted life without parole. They did speak about what happened after the shooting and before it and kind of all of the immediate events that led up to it and the details. But their stories started to differ and blame each other, blame Brandos on who actually pulled the trigger and who was responsible for doing the killings. Natasha Cornette, for example, she said that Jason Bryant, who was 14, he was the one who pulled the trigger and was shooting them. And Joe Reisner, Karen Howell also blamed Jason Bryant. The way it's done, though, it sounds like the three of them were closer, because Natasha and Joe are a couple, I think, and then Karen's like her good friend. So I'm pretty sure they're like, oh, let's team up against the the youngest, the kid. Or maybe, you know, maybe Jason did shoot everyone. Maybe he did. But they were saying that there was no warning. They had no idea that he was going to do this, that this was going to happen. Which I want to be like, mm, okay. But then why, when Vidar was offering you his wallet and the keys to leave his family there, did you not just take the van and leave? If your if your plan wasn't to literally take them out into a secluded area and kill them, why not just leave them there? So, uh, to me, that does not hold up at all. That's a really good point. And I hark back to what you said earlier about it being something they probably made that decision on the fly of like, we can't let these people go. They saw us. And so maybe their plan Um, wasn't to kill them, but it quickly turned into we're going to kill them. I mean, yeah, maybe their plan was like, oh, fuck, we'll we'll figure something out. And then realized, oh, we got to kill them. I don't know. Jason Bryant, his story, he claimed that Joe Reisner and Edward Mullins, who were the two oldest, 19 and 20, it was the two of them who fired the guns, and they planned to put the blame on him because he was the youngest and would probably get a lesser sentence. That, to me, seems most likely, 
Because one, Natasha and Karen are dating Joe and Edward. And they're two of the people pointing the finger at Jason. And also, there were two guns. So I would assume two people. Good point. Yep, there were. And also, the two older guys doing the shooting, It to me, that makes a lot more sense. It does seem more likely. But in the joint sentencing hearing, the trial court concluded that each of the defendants played a role in the murders. You know, they did acknowledge that, yeah, not every single one of them pulled the trigger or fired the fatal shots. All of them were present through their deaths and did nothing to stop what was happening, despite having all the opportunity in the world. So all six of them are just as culpable, whether they had their hand on the trigger or not. Which I'm like, yeah, you know, the only ones that I could say, oh, I really don't know, are um, the two that are actual juveniles, especially Jason, who's 14. I have a really hard time accepting that a 14-year-old could know what they're doing. And maybe that's me being naive myself, but... Well, or even maybe know what they're doing, but I don't know, the decision in the court, they're like, none of y'all did anything to stop them. What's a 14-year-old going to do to stop a 20-year-old? Yeah, a 19 or 20-year-old with guns who are shooting a family. Can can a 14-year-old or really any of them be expected to... Be a martyr? I don't know. Yeah, to step in and stop them and probably get shot themselves. The line of logic of, you know, it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger or not, I get and agree with. But the line of logic that if you didn't do anything you're guilty without looking at the wider picture i i have trouble with it'd be interesting to see how this sentencing could have changed if they did have a jury i don't feel like they would all have gotten the same Mm -hmm. sentence by any means well and i don't necessarily know what a trial court is for the sentencing i i assume that's probably just the judge i think it is just right i think the judge just decides if you waive the right to a jury you're putting the decision in the judge's hands right I think so. I think so too. So if we're, if we're wrong that's about that, that's a question that, for outside legal counsel. Yeah, let us know if that is correct or not. But the trial court, they believed that Jason, fourteen-year-old, was either the only shooter or one of the shooters. Oh, again, I wasn't there. I didn't see the evidence. wasn't part of it. As far as what I'm seeing, I do not understand. But that was part of it. They also believed that Joe Reisner played a significant part in, like, instigating the events by threatening the family with the gun and really starting the kidnapping at the uh, rest stop. Right. But overall, the trial court's opinion was that each of the defendants were involved in the attack and murder. Each of them fled the scene, evaded police for two days, and showed zero hint of remorse for the crime. So, again, they're all guilty, they're all culpable. There have been a couple of them that have tried to have retrials or have their sentence overturned, but as of today, all six of them are still in prison and will remain there for the rest of their lives. Peter is now 25. Wow, oh my Um, gosh. I don't know why I thought he'd be older. That's not how math works, but it's so tragic what happened to him and his family. Like, I know. And this is why, I mean, to be totally honest, rest stops are scary. They were just stopping. Rest stops, rest stops make me nervous. And I am a white man. So I, I can't even imagine 
the added stress of being a woman or a person of color at one or a parent with young kids or anything like that. I'm like, I get nervous and I'm literally taking care of myself, but... I'm just going to strictly pee at, uh, like, the McDonald's from now on. I don't want to... Honestly? I don't want to... Because there are some rest stops that sometimes when you're like, I really got to go and you stop... And it's unfortunate how uncomfortable they are because it's a great resource, but it's one that is can be easily dangerous. Yeah. And how many just horror stories we hear of people attacked or sexually assaulted or murdered at rest stops. I remember one case that has always stuck with me. I saw it on some Lifetime something, probably an I Survived or something like it. I think it was actually the show Worst Case Scenario. I saw it from when I was like five or six or seven or eight or something, and it has stuck with me ever since. But a woman is attacked in a rest stop and has her throat cut. But I guess the dude who did it fucked up and like didn't hit her. The carotid? Carotid, but like sliced open her windpipe. And another woman, I guess a couple minutes later you know, stops at the rest stop, goes into the bathroom and sees this, and she's thankfully a nurse, and grabs a ballpoint pen and basically trakes her through her opened trachea so that she can have an airway and breathe. Isn't fucking intense. They're friends to this day. They survived. That is really intense. But, uh, yeah. So, that was my murderers on the go murder of the Little Land family. That was really, yeah. really bad, dude. I, yeah, I, I know. never knew what to expect because you didn't know, like, what decisions these kids were going to make as they're, mm-hmm. like, traveling around the country on vacation. Yeah, it's like, okay, so they murdered this family. Are they going to start murdering others? Are they going to make it to New Orleans? Are they going to go to the beach? I don't know. Like, nope, they're going to go to Mexico and I guess illegally cross the border somehow as a group of six kids in a van. I don't understand how I'm like, it's a river. You have to cross a bridge in your van. How did that work? Also, who shot one of the... What's happening? There's a lot in my case that is unanswered. And like, yeah, unimportant things like that. But even just the who actually shot them. Right. I am of the mindset is that the two older guys, like Joseph's story to me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I assumed. Obviously, it did not convince the judge of that but i don't know yep that is my case uh Brittany, why don't you tell me about your traveling killer on the go your to-go killer oh god to-go killers so the case i picked is the canada highway murders oh the sources i used a couple articles from inside edition an article from cbs news a couple of articles from new york post and also a wikipedia page for the northern british columbia murders oh of 2019 i i think i'm vaguely familiar with your case and if i am oh yeah this is one that was very recent in the summer of 2019 so less than a year ago china deese who was 24 and her boyfriend lucas fowler who was 23 they really wanted to have a great time together when they set out on a road trip across canada a couple years prior 
China, who lived in North Carolina. She met Lucas, who was actually from Australia, in a hostel in Croatia. And they immediately hit it off. They loved travel. They'd been together ever since. China's family immediately accepted Lucas into their family, and he actually stayed with them for three months in the States, celebrated Thanksgiving and Christmas with them. And so, like I said, they met while they were traveling, and so that's what they wanted to do together, always. China planned to one day travel to Australia to meet Lucas's family, but in the summer of 2019, their big travel plan was to go to Canada. She wanted to spend time with her boyfriend. The reason is because Lucas actually found a job at a ranch in northern British Columbia and during China's trip to visit they were going to go on a three-week road trip and it would take them to a lot of the national parks that were in the region. I mean Canada's huge Uh, so they had a lot of... That sounds amazing. Yeah they had a lot of options. This sounds like an absolutely gorgeous and glorious trip and unfortunately we know that's not going to be the case. Uh, That's like that's the kind of road trip I want to take. I know. And so I don't know if I want to listen to your case or if I'm just going to pull out my headphones now and smile and nod the whole time. I wouldn't blame you. So on Saturday, July 13th is when they started their road trip. China and Lucas ran into a little bit of car trouble and it left them stranded alongside a road when they were just one day into their journey. Oh. I know. They had just gotten started. And a woman, Sandra Broughton, and her husband, Curtis, who happened to be a mechanic, they were traveling on Alaska Highway 97, and they spotted the couple's camper, camper van, pulled over, the hood was up. It was about 3.30 on Sunday, July 14th. China and Lucas were sitting in chairs alongside their van, just kind of having a little picnic. They were eating when Brighton and her husband offered help. Oh, to me, I know that's like such a, oh, just a detail, but... I feel like that says so much that they're just the type of couple who are like, well, you know what? Let's make the best out of this. Picnic on the side of the highway? Okay. I know. And so Lucas said the van's engine was just flooded and so they were waiting it out. So they were not concerned and they seemed like they had it under control. They knew what the mechanical issues were going on with the van. And like we were just talking about, they were having this picnic just waiting. And so they didn't seem concerned. Her husband, Curtis, who was the mechanic, he was assured that the couple knew what they were doing. He saw them like, you know, very happy and smiling and not concerned about the situation. And so they left which is something that haunts them to this day. Because the next morning, around 7 a.m., China and Lucas's bodies were found in the ditch along Alaska Highway 97 near Liard Hot Springs, which is a really popular tourist spot. Apologies if I said that wrong. A blue Chevrolet van, which authorities thought was theirs, was found nearby with the windows smashed and the back doors wide open. The scene that the police came upon was very grisly. Lucas had no shoes and China only had one on. The couple was killed under what was described as a very horrific circumstance. Both of the victims had gunshot wounds and were separated like five feet apart, both kind of facing in the same direction. It took four days for police to identify the bodies, which that amount of time to identify bodies really shows you how violent their deaths were. Yeah. Their deaths actually happened near Canada's notorious Highway of Tears, which, I'm gonna be real, is its own case all in itself. Because this is a yeah. this is a remote stretch of road where at least 18 women in the last 40 years have disappeared or been found murdered. Yeah, when I said at the beginning of the case, I was like, oh, I think I know this. That's what I was thinking. Yep. 
of was all of the indigenous women who've been kidnapped and murdered along the Highway of Tears. Yep. I thought that's what you were thinking about. And I read a little bit. The Wikipedia page, which is what I just touched on, it outlines all of the victims, everything that happened over the last 40 years. And it's, I couldn't even finish it. It was, it was so much. That, maybe that's a case in the future we'll do as a full episode, split the case. I think it's one that is horrible and grisly and I couldn't do it alone. I don't think you could either, but uh, is also, I think one that unfortunately a lot of people don't know about. I agree. I think that would be a great one to share. So China's brother took to social media to express the pain that he and his family were experiencing. And he said, 24 hours ago, I found out why my little sis didn't text me back, which I will say, oh, that is a line that literally brings tears to my eyes because everybody knows that I worry way too much. But this is one of the things where when it's been a while since I've haven't heard back from someone, I cannot help but think worst case scenario. And so the fact that his worst case scenario became his life, I struggle with that. I can't like think about that too much because that's too hard. And too many people have had that experience be reality. We don't ever think about those kinds of things. And we never really talk about that time you tried to reach out to someone and they didn't answer because they'd been murdered. They couldn't. couldn't. Yeah. So he wrote that. And then he said, she is so deeply woven as a piece of my childhood and everyday life. I am forever indebted to her for being such an amazing life companion and giving me so many reasons to smile. Life throws curveballs and you make everyone easier to handle. He continued, this is a curveball I did not expect. Losing you is going to hurt so much. And so it's like when he was accepting that that was his reality. Let me compose myself for a second. Sorry, that like, you know how I am with anything sibling, especially when I'm sitting here telling you it's it's really hard. Yep. Lucas Fowler's family also spoke out and they said that the loss they were suffering was devastating. We lost our dear Lucas Fowler, son, brother, grandson, and friend in the most terrible of circumstances. To know his beautiful girlfriend also lost her life in this violent event is too cruel. And you've got to remember, they lived in Australia. And he was living in the States, then lived in Canada. They they were literally on opposite sides of the world. And so think of how helpless you would feel in that situation. Police stated on July 19th that they did not believe that there was any connection at this time to any other previous murders, that this was just a crime of opportunity, unfortunate opportunity. However, it appeared authorities spoke a little bit too soon because on that very same day, the body of a third person was found not far from a flaming vehicle of two men who were soon discovered to be missing. It had been several days since the family of Cam McLeod, who was 19, and Briar Schmeglischke, who was 18, had heard from these two guys when investigators discovered their pickup truck on fire on Highway 37. These two men were from British Columbia, and they were believed to have been traveling to Whitehorse. Sorry, I started to say White House. They were traveling to Whitehorse in the Yukon Territory to look for work, and they may have not had cell phone service for a lot of their trip they're driving just all over canada in the forest there's lots of trees couldn't always get a hold of them so i don't think there was too much concern but no one had heard from them in quite a while and i mean in most of canada once you get 100 miles or more north of the u.s border it gets remote yeah 
like I was saying, Canada's huge and there's a lot of open space. A lot yeah, of nature. It's definitely a country. Beauty. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a country of natural beauty. Investigators found no signs of Cam or Briar near the scene, but the body of Vancouver resident Leonard Dick was found two kilometers south of the vehicle that was on fire. And he seemed to have been killed with very similar circumstances to that of Lucas and China. Lucas and China's bodies were found about 470 kilometers away from Leonard's. Oh, wait, 470 kilometers away? Yeah, so like 290 miles. I think that's how that math works out. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty far. Yeah. Leonard was a very dedicated family man who was enjoying life after retirement. He had had a lengthy career as a researcher and a professor. So like literally amazing man. He loved surrounding himself with nature and he was often found camping with his family or even by himself. There was some potential after police discovered his body that these cases were connected. So on Sunday, July 21st, another witness came forward. Alandra Hole said she saw Lucas and China alive on Sunday, the previous Sunday, and she described a really tense scene that something in her gut told her to get away and avoid getting involved. She saw this bearded man who appeared to be arguing with the couple along the remote stretch of highway, and this was just a few hours before they were found dead. Oh, The Royal Canadian Mounted Police also released footage of Lucas and China stopping at a gas station on July 13th. The video shows them filling up their van around 7.30, and then they left the gas station at about 7.47. And then authorities also released a sketch of a man who they said was seen speaking with Lucas on Highway 97 on the evening of July 14th. Is that the bearded guy? It was the bearded guy. He was described as Caucasian with darker skin and dark hair, standing shorter than Lucas. And Lucas was pretty tall. He was 6'3". And he had that beard and he was wearing glasses. On July 22nd, the RCMP believed that there had to be a possible link between these two missing guys and these three murder victims. So following the discovery of this truck that was on fire and the connections in the murders... The RCMP sought second-degree murder charges against Cam and Briar in relation to these three murders. Oh. Yeah. I... There was enough to where they oh. believed that these two, quote-unquote, missing men were actually murderers. I was assuming they were murder victims that hadn't been found yet. Nope. I guess when you said bearded guy, I don't think an 18 and a 19-year-old. I don't either, but remember, you had a beard at that age. Uh, I had a neck beard. I don't even have a beard yet. <laughs> Fair. I'm almost 27 and can't grow hair, like... On your cheeks. On my cheeks. It's fine. You have a blonde slash red mustache. I know. <laughs> it's gonna go gray before I get hair on my cheeks, before I can like, grow an actual beard. You should really just accept it and let it happen. <laughs> I'm going to start putting Rogaine on my face. Did you know some uh, people use it on their eyebrows so they grow? I don't need that. Fun fact. So at this point in time, this case had received nationwide attention. Because of that, a resident of Cold Lake, Alberta, reported helping two younger males who had their truck stuck on July 21st. So sounded like he ran into Cam and Briar. Later that same day, the two of them were captured by video surveillance at a Meadow Lake shore in Saskatchewan, and eyewitnesses have also recalled spotting them twice in the Gillum area of Manitoba on July 22nd. 
Damn. So they're in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. That's, I mean, shit, that's half of Canada. They are all over the place. On that same day, July 22nd, the two of them were stopped for a routine alcohol check in Manitoba, and the two of them were released, and this interaction with these constables was the last confirmed sighting of the two of them. Those constables didn't know that they were people they needed to be looking for, and it was just an alcohol Um, check, you know, so... Y'all got any booze? No. Okay, bye. Basically. So by July 24th, the RCMP had deployed the emergency response team, crisis negotiation team, air services, and canine units to Gillum and like the surrounding area. There had been a checkpoint set up with heavily armed officers canvassing the area, and the RCMP had acknowledged this very inhospitable environment that they were looking through. They were in very dense forest swampy terrain there were wild animals so this search by no means was easy but after almost a week of unsuccessful search attempts for the murder suspects the rcmp received a new tip on july 28th so two guys travis baghetti and justin coho they were part of the indigenous bear clan patrol they spotted two people with matching descriptions for the two missing guys at a landfill that was about 200 kilometers southwest of Gillum. Damn, these guys are on the move. Seriously on the move. They're just pinballing across western Canada. They are all over the place. But by July 25th, the RCMP confirmed that they were unable to locate the two of them, and they reassured the public of their continued presence in the Gillum and York Landing communities. And they were like literally telling these communities to just be careful about going outdoors, like just because they didn't know where these kids were. They didn't know what they were capable of. Also just noticed like a weird connection that both of ours have very young murderers. Yeah. So on July 30th, Northeast Ontario Provincial Police, so the OPP, yeah, Ontario. They're in Ontario now? They received a report of two suspicious men with matching descriptions to McLeod and Smeglerski near Iron Bridge. And then on July 31st, at about 10.30 in the morning, morning, the OPP was notified that the fugitives may have been traveling eastbound in a white vehicle on Highway 11, and they were carrying a firearm. But officers were once again unable to locate the suspects in both of these incidents. On the same day, nine days after this manhunt began, Manitoba RCMP announced that it was scaling back their search efforts after being unable to locate the suspects despite inspecting over 11,000 square kilometers and searching more than 500 homes in Gillum, York Landing, and the surrounding area. By August 1st, more unconfirmed locations of the suspects had been reported to the OPP, but a breakthrough came on August 2nd when Gillum-based tour guide Clint Sawchuck reported to the RCMP that he had seen a blue sleeping bag at the edge of the Nelson River near where it enters the Hudson Bay. So a fresh search of the river was started by the RCMP on August 3rd, where they ended up finding a damaged rowboat on the northern shore of the Nelson River below the Lower Limestone Rapids, which was about 65 kilometers northeast of Gillum. Near the rowboat, they found a couple other items which the RCMP linked to the suspects. And this location was only about nine kilometers northeast of where 
the burning vehicle had been found on July 23rd. So close to where the rowboat was found, the RCMP started an underwater search, but they didn't find anything. And then on August 7th, RCMP in northern Manitoba reported that they believed they had found the bodies of the two fugitives, Cam McLeod and Briar Smeglischke, in thick brush, close to the Nelson River, about a kilometer west of where the damaged rowboat had been found. And by August 12th, an autopsy report from Winnipeg had confirmed that the two bodies found did belong to the two suspects and that they had died due to self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Police said that the teens had been dead for a number of days before their bodies were discovered, but exactly for how long was pretty unclear. Cam McLeod and Briar Schmegliski left a last will and testament video message before taking their own lives that was found on one of their phones. And the two of them reportedly said goodbye and gave instructions on what to do with their remains in approximately this 30 seconds of footage. However, the RCMP were believed to be in possession of the full video recording, which was longer than what was shared with the suspect's families, but the video could really be the key to explaining what led the two of them to brutally murder China, Lucas, and Leonard Dick. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm where I'm at. And I'm glad you mentioned that there's a longer form video because a 30-second video of them being like, "Hey everyone, Sorry, bye. I prefer to be cremated. Like, what? I know. With how recent this case is, that's where it ends for us today. I don't have any more information. We don't know why they did what they did. This is still clearly an open investigation. And it's really unfortunate because, I mean, I'll just flat out say it. We're not even 100% sure that Cam and Briar did this. Yeah. They are two of just like the leading suspects. The police are pretty sure they think they know they did it. But now that they've killed themselves, it really leaves this very open-ended. Unless in their video that hasn't been released, they, I don't know, confess or say, give motive or something. Yeah. But how fucked up would it be if it was a case of them being like, we didn't do it and being on the run because they don't, they don't want to get caught or charged with something they didn't do. I know. I mean, I think they did it, but. It seems like they did, but also that's very much the bias the articles were written in. So it's hard to know. Exactly. It's the bias the article's written in because realistically, why? Like, it's not like they had any connection with the victims or anything like that that would be like, oh, that. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there had to be stuff that pointed to why they were the prime suspects other than, oh, these people went missing in a general 800 kilometer radius of these murders. But, you know, even still... Damn. Well, and there's also the bigger fact of there's not always a reason why. And I know we hate that. Yeah. But just because someone does something doesn't mean there's necessarily a reasoning behind it. And with them being what clearly seems to be on the run, it does make them suspect. So this is one I would like to keep following. Try to keep me honest on that and remember to do so because... I will not remember (laughs) at all. We all, all of our listeners are fully aware. I am not going to remember shit. 
But um, I appreciate that you think I would. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, but that is my case. And yeah, again, we picked two cases with very weird similarities. And I don't know why we constantly do this. And I don't know why it constantly happens or how it happens. But it happened once again. It very much did. Okay. That path your case took, basically, how we got to the end from the beginning... That is not what I thought we were going into when you started the case. Oh, I know, right? It just, this it like all of a sudden takes like this sharp turn. And you're like, wait, what? Well, and turns that aren't even like necessarily dramatic or, <gasps> but just ones that you wouldn't think about or even expect or, I mean, all of Imagine it. Imagine being a is part just... of that investigation. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Well, postmortem? Let's do it. Postmortem. You know, I think your case was definitely very intense, but I'm going to I'm going to say mine. I'm going to say mine was the more intense case. You know, it involved a family, it involved children being shot, and it involved children being put in prison for life without parole. Well, mine involved 5 deaths, but is it just me or do these feel like pretty equivalent to be totally honest? I mean, Honestly, like when in your heart of hearts, when you're sitting there trying to decide between the two, because this is how I'm feeling. I'm literally like, well, this, but then this, but then this. And I don't know. And, you know, yours, a 14 year old went to life in prison and mine, these people that they've been chasing, we don't even know if they actually did it. And so maybe there's still a murderer out there. So it's like, it's like shit and shit. Yeah. And when you compare shit, they're both pretty bad. I mean, yeah, no, that that's true. Because your case, I feel like, at least for me, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting or whatever. I felt like I emotionally bonded more or in, was invested in China and Lucas, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I felt like they were, they just seemed like people I would know or friends I would have. That, that couple um, that is just like the best. And you're like, God, I am so happy you found each other. Those kind of people. And you're so nice. And And your car breaks down and you have a picnic because that's what people do. Exactly. Like that, again, going back to that specific example, just like that being who they are, just the kind of people who are like, well, this sucks, but you know what? Let's not only make the best out of it, but let's make it into another adventure. And that being cut short. Yeah, but yours was also a family that just was stopping at a rest stop. That is a normal activity that like we talked about now makes rest stops super scary so i really do this is why i went through so much back and forth in my head i feel like these cases are a lot more equal than they are one over intensifying the other yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to agree with you so i'm gonna do we want i'm gonna call a draw okay i'm 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 down with that all right so next week Survivor episode. I mean, I enjoy our Survivor episodes. I really do. But they're always just the most intense episodes we do. Most intense, most detail. Yeah. But okay, let's do it. Next episode, episode 104, Some Something Survivor. Something Survivor. Well... Thank y'all so much for tuning in. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. Give us those five stars. We love hearing from y'all. And also, every time you rate us, it helps other people find our podcast. It I don't know. What's the... 
what's the image? Ripples in a pond is the image in my mind of uh, our podcast showing up for other people. Other people get to enjoy blood and wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. And while you're at it, hey, have you checked us out on social? I bet a lot of you have, uh, but we are definitely on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Instagram is where you can quickly find all of the wines that we do, episode titles, topics, all the stuff, see our beautiful faces, and um, easily interact with us. You can do that on all of them, actually, let's be real. But be sure to like and follow. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.